All right, so we just read a passage in 1 Peter chapter 3. This is a passage that if you were to just focus in on one of those verses, particularly verse 15, it is one that is used almost exclusively to this concept of apologetics. And for some of us here, the word apologetics means nothing. To others, you hear the word, it sounds like to apologize, but really we're talking about making a defense. And in fact, the ESV translation that Dusty read gives that concept of a defense, give a defense for the hope that is in you. But we often use it when we're talking about this concept of apologetics. Well, when we're looking at apologetics, and my battery's running out again, we have to, uh, maybe the thing is broken or something. I think we just put new batteries in, it's still not working. But with regard to apologetics, it's very, very difficult. Thank you so much. Um, because we're using terms often that are left to the scientific community or people who love $25 words. On the flip side, when you think about when you're sharing the gospel to people, isn't it just hard enough sometimes just to share the simple gospel? I mean, think about it. Some people get offended. One of the very first people, in fact, I think is the very first person I shared the gospel with after I became a Christian, which was within 24 hours of becoming a Christian. I was on the sidewalk, and I was meeting up with a woman. Of course, I'm on cloud nine. I'm a Christian now. I'm cloud nine, and I meet this woman, and as we're introducing ourselves to her, I find out she's not a Christian. I let her know real quickly she's not a Christian. I got slapped in the face. Literally, not metaphorically. <laughs> and I learned, well, I guess not everyone wants to be a Christian or, or maybe, you know, or just offended for maybe the way I was bringing it across. I'm not sure, but that can scare people away. We don't like rejection. We don't like telling people that they are lost in their sins. I mean, you're, you're dealing with moral issues here where you're telling to someone you're not perfect, and not only that, you're far from perfect. You need a savior. Very difficult to share that. Try sharing it with family members when they don't have a concept of the gospel that you've been taught. Share it with your coworkers, your neighbors that you live around. Your friends you grew up with. It's a very hard thing to do. And so when you have that coupled with the fact that you are going to be hated possibly by some, then that coupled with rejection, when you're talking about something that's supposed to be good news, can be quite difficult. In fact, it's part of the reason why that in our country where we've, we get so accustomed to comfort and ease that sharing the gospel is even more difficult. That said, when we have things that come along that have this air of excitement attached to it, like we found the Holy Grail, we found the Ark, we found this, we found that, then we get excited. That's this concept of apologetics that has made its way probably much more in the last 50 years um, you can say the beginnings around 150 years ago in the mid-1800s, but really in the last 50 years, with the things that we've been discussing in the scientific community and, and what have you, philosophy, all these things play a part. 
And that word comes from the Greek word apologia, which is what we see in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. It's a word that, that is the discipline of defending a position often used in religious ways through systematic use of information. And early Christian writers who defended their faith against critics and recommended their faith to outsiders were actually called apologists. Kind of taken on a more secular term, but it's still used in a religious way today. And so when we're talking about apologetics, there's all kinds of reference to that. Um, does this picture ring a bell to many people? <laughs> Supposedly, and I'm using out of quotation marks, Noah's Ark is discovered in Turkey. And of course, later on, whether it's Snopes or whatever other website that deals with these kinds of things, or from a fact that we still don't know, these things get debunked. But sure looks kind of neat to have this, this picture that would look like possibly the ark. And so we get all excited, and then we start sharing it on our timeline, right? Or this one. Marine fossils in most of the rock layers in Grand Canyon. Anyone been to the Grand Canyon and actually seen these, these marine fossils? They're, they're just everywhere. It's in great abundance. And I was mentioning to you how we can just write in our own state of Tennessee and in other states all throughout this country, you'll see seashells or fossils of marine life. And so we have that and we all get excited. Or how about this? When you get into the sciences, and this is way over my understanding, but, but simple enough for us to understand this law of causality. I mean, the simple thing of dominoes falling begs the question. How did it start? I mean, we see in the midst of falling, we can see the evidence of it, but someone actually had to do something to start that domino effect. That's the sense of the, the law of cause and effect or law of causality. You know, something that is in motion has to start being in motion. And the, the philosophy and the logic behind the philosophy is there has to be something motionless, if you will, that caused this motion to start at some point, And we call him God. Again, that's from a scientific standpoint. So you've got this law of causality. And, and that would really ring true for a lot of believers saying, of course, we've been saying that all along. We've got the Bible to, to back that up. That in the beginning, God created. Or you might have the Dead Sea Scrolls. Where we're trying to prove that the Bible is the inherent word of God. And that, that this document is authentic. It is genuine. And, and here's proof before Jesus lived were these scrolls that were dated back before his birth they're saying and and so we we find these things in 1947 and, and now we're declaring look we found these dead sea scrolls or the scrolls in the Qumran caves and we get excited about these things we can go on and on and on about all kinds you know law of thermodynamics or ontology and all kinds of big words and stuff that would give us uh, various philosophical or scientific or archaeological or biological ways of defending that God exists or Jesus is the Christ or the Bible is the word of God and so on and so forth. Lots of examples. Here's the thing. I think that with our modern society that we live in, when we seize upon these opportunities, we may not be doing a service to those that we're trying to share the gospel with. 
In fact, in many cases, the arguments that we believe to, to be proof or evidence will be disclaimed or it be rebutted. But we are quick and eager to shout out all these things. Have you noticed on, on our timelines, on social media networks, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever else belongs to the social web, there's a lot of Christians that will put these posts up when, when they come along. In fact, we almost beat each other to the punch when we share these things. And the thing is that after so many years of seeing this phenomenon where Christians share it and then you hear the rebuttals on the other end and back and forth and we're still in the same place. I'm not seeing atheists personally now. That cannot happen. And there is a time and place for apologetics. I think it's a wonderful tool to use, but how we use them is what I'm getting at. But I don't see, by and large, a lot of people in droves turning to the Lord through this avenue called apologetics. And so here's the thing. Christianity is based on what? On apologetics? No. Christianity is based on the belief that Jesus is the Christ, right? I mean, when, when we are being baptized into Christ, it's one of the things that we ask the person who's being baptized. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? And that person will say yes if they are, in fact, a believer. That's what Christianity is based on, that we believe Jesus to be the Christ. That's what John writes in 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. And if, and if you guys have your devices and everything, just go over that passage right there. Um, very clearly, this is the foundation of Christianity. That what we are saying is, there's this person who was born, came to this world, and claimed to be, and showed that he is from God. And his claim as from God is that I am dying for your sins as a savior of this world, so that if you follow me, your sins will be washed away. They'll be forgiven. And you will have the promise of everlasting life, the very thing, everlasting life. The very thing that Jimmy was talking about with a fellow believer, don't mess it. And so, 1 John, read chapter 5, verse 1 following, and he says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. It's foundational to Christianity. We believe, as Romans 5, verse 25 tells us, that Jesus Christ died for our sins, or Ephesians chapter 2, that while we're in the, in, dead in the trespass of our sins, Jesus Christ died for the ungodly, or while we're enemies of God. We can read on further in Titus chapter 1, verse 2, as, as Paul um, begins his letter to this young man and tells him basically that we have this hope of eternal life through Jesus. So there's a number of Bible passages that we use, and this is what Christianity is based on. And I think if we go back to 1 Peter chapter 3, this is one of those passages that while the principle, the application can be used from the principle... 
The whole point of what Peter is trying to say is very different than, than what we have been trying to do in the name of Christianity today. I think, by and large, I'm not speaking about specific individuals, but as far as a movement is concerned, I think we're missing the mark. I think we're, we're getting away from the gospel and using everything but the gospel to try and reach souls. That's what it seems like. I mean, how many Bible passages are you seeing sharing the gospel in contrast to all these apologetic arguments on social media? The evidence, the proof, if you will, is overwhelming. Apologetics seems to be a, a great trend with regard to proving certain things about Christianity. And so Christianity is based off that, upon the scriptures that we have just read and, and many others. It's not to prove anything. This concept of, you know, give a defense for the hope that is in you is in light of what was going on with our brethren of the first century. I want you to go back to 1 Peter chapter 3, and let's look at these things, and we're going to see what this is not about. Go back to the text. Sometimes it's easy when we're just reading um, the scripture reading for the sermon to just gloss over it, listen to it. It has some kind of tie to the sermon. It's very important what we understand here in light of what Peter's trying to get at because, and I've made this statement many, many times, and I'm going to say it one more time. This is going to be us soon enough. The things that we're reading here in 1 Peter is going to be happening here much more regularly, much more intensely than what we are witnessing right now. So again, 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Even if some should suffer for righteousness sake, you're blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, as he quotes from Isaiah. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, or in some translations like New American Standard, or as the ESV puts the, the manuscript says, sanctify the Lord Jesus Christ in your hearts. And always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for the reason or asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Do it with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. What this passage is not talking about is the existence of God. This passage is not talking about whether or not these scriptures are authentic, genuine. They're not talking about whether or not there was a worldwide flood. You see, the Bible already inherently shows them to be true, accepts them to be true, assumes them to be true. It is a worldview that is without question. It's not like in the beginning God, if you believe there is a God, he did this. It's simply in the beginning God did this. The flood took place. Now, there may be people because of whatever passion that they have or... or uh, maybe a burden that they have. They want to prove things. 
And so uh, I forget this guy who, the guy who just found the Titanic a couple of years ago. He's on a, a personal quest to prove a worldwide flood. I mean, people do that. That's what they want to do. People are wanting to, to find the very beginning of time. And so now we have things, you know, we, uh, with the, um, the Higgs boson, the, the God particle. That, so we can prove one way or another that God does or does not exist. I mean, there's all kinds of things that people are doing, including quote-unquote Christian um, scientists because they want to show these things to be true. That's not our goal. Our goal has never been that. Jesus would have given us that instruction if that had been the goal. These are tools that you can use, but not tools that should be primary in sharing the gospel. If you go even further and we see what is not being said versus what is being said, we can see there are many Many scriptures that simply show us it's going to be by faith. In fact, that's what I heard this morning in our Bible class in Genesis. It's, it's going to be by faith. I mean, think about it. Those of you who um, were not brought up with Christian uh, tenets, Christian teachings, you just brought up by the way of the world. When you became a Christian... Did you have to go through all the hoops like, well, does God really exist? Some do, but many don't. When Paul went to the Ropagus in Acts chapter 17, and he was looking at all the various idols that they had, that they were worshiping, and I think it's around verse 16 or 17 of the passage going on further, he said, and there's one to the unknown God. He said, this is the God I'm preaching to you. He did not have to spend the next year proving this unseeable, unfeelable, unhearable, unsmellable God. He said, this God that, that you have to the unknown God, that's who I'm declaring to you. And people either accepted or did not. I believe that when we use apologetics, brethren, it is for the purpose of saying, you know what? This just supports in my mind as I'm reading through these things, things that I already do believe in by faith, which comes from God's word, which I, I believe in things I cannot see. It is also, by the way, faith for our friends on the other side of the aisle. You think about saying, well, you have to prove God exists. I don't have to prove God exists. I simply, I believe it. Now, if you want to go out and go prove it, go for it. I never have to prove to someone else that God exists. It is accepted by faith. The very kind of faith that they would try and have to use to show that we were started by something called a big bang. How do you prove that? Scientifically, you cannot prove it. That's the reason why we have these scientists building these huge, huge, I call them tunnels, to have atoms banging into each other. They can prove something. That still doesn't prove anything. There's so much more that we still don't know scientifically. And even then, if you could prove something 
in the eyes of someone else, the next person just doesn't believe it because they choose not to believe it. That's what happens. So when it comes to sharing the gospel, it's not about proving these things that, that we're trying to get someone to, to turn to the Lord through apologetics. We're trying to get them to Christ through his teachings. And that's what's offensive. See, when you get into apologetics, we're just dealing with various laws or, or philosophies and, and so on and so forth. But when you get to the teaching of Christ, we're dealing with morality issues, and that's very offensive to those that don't want to hear the truth. When Peter told brethren, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, it's because there were many Christians who were wavering in their faith, whether or not they would have Jesus Christ as their Lord. It may mean losing your job. It may mean having your family taken to prison or you taken to prison away from your family. It may mean that you will at some point be killed. Maybe even in the likeness of crucifixion that their Savior went through. And some of them were giving up the faith and no longer having Jesus as Lord over their lives. And what Peter is saying is, you sanctify, you set Jesus Christ as Lord for everyone to see it. And you defend the hope that you have that Jesus died, he rose again, and the promise is the same for me because I believe in him to be the savior of this world. That's the apologist that were being killed for their faith. They're being tortured for their faith. That were being ridiculed for their faith. And it looks like godly lifestyle. That's why 1 Peter chapter 4, you no longer run with those people of dissipation that you were once part of. That's the defense that you have, brethren. So I'll be the first to share with you. I love all these sciences and things. As I'm getting older, maybe my mind can handle it better now than when I was younger. Younger, these are all boring stuff for me. Now I think it's rather fascinating. But that's all it is. It's not going to replace Romans chapter 1 verse 16 that says that the gospel is the power of salvation to all believe. Not proving the existence of God. Not some scrolls that are pretty cool finding they in and of themselves won't prove anything. It will be a belief that every person has to have of their own accord to come to if they're going to be a child of God. And so this morning, if you're here and, and you're in that situation where you're saying, well, I'm not quite sure. You know, maybe there is there's something that you can prove to me. What we have is words from thousands of years ago that I believe to be true, not made up. And yes, there are evidences that I believe, circumstantial evidences that support that this is true. And that the teachings in here are in fact true. But it's going to be coming down to you and whether or not you're going to believe that Jesus is the Christ. That you're going to give up your life for someone you've never seen hung on a cross. Someone who says he died because of your sins that you have committed. But if you come to that belief, and with all your heart, you live your life for the one who's died for you, 
the promises given to you that you will have everlasting life with our Holy Father in heaven for eternity. Now, if that's a promise that you can believe in through the one who died for you, then the request, the calling of Jesus is for you to put that old person of sin to death. Let it die that you may be a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's a pure, simple gospel. Being baptized in the name of the Lord, calling upon his name for your salvation. That's your invitation right now. Brethren, for the rest of us, think about the things that we share. Use the platform to the glory of God. And when with these things that are called apologists uh, or apologetics-related events take place, doesn't, I'm not saying don't share them. <laughs> Just say know where their place is when you do share them. Know where the truth is. And this is just more of a reminder from that standpoint so that we can always give glory to God and credit to God for bringing some soul to him, not through these arguments of men. That's invitation. Why not come forward if you need the prayers of saints or if you want to come turn to the Lord, do that right now as together we stand and sing.